From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing, Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance, and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Get the unmissable news stories of the day. This is the Beijing Hour. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour. One hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host, Shane Begum, with you on this Friday, November the tenth, two thousand twenty-three. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, China's released a white paper outlining the tremendous economic growth and cultural development in the Shizhong region. Sixth China International Import Expo set a new record for the annual event, with over 78 billion U.S. dollars in tentative deals. Israel's agreed to daily humanitarian pauses in the fighting with Hamas militants in the Gaza Strip. Coming up in business, China will ramp up efforts to attract foreign investment. In sports, China's called、uh, called up a new defender ahead of the next FIFA World Cup qualifier. In culture and entertainment, the 2023 North American Shaolin Games in Los Angeles. Now checking the day's top stories. China's Shizhong region has seen its economy growing fast over the past decade. Official data shows its GDP exceeded 213 billion yuan, or roughly 29 billion U.S. dollars, last year, more than doubling the figure from 2012. That's according to a white paper released on Friday. The document explains how the CPC's guidelines for governing Shizhong in the new era have brought progress and historic success in various undertakings in the region. Apart from economic development, the Cultural industry in the region has been booming. The study and the use of the Tibetan language and script are guaranteed by law. Both standard Chinese and the Tibetan language can be found in public facilities, as well as in radio and TV programs. Nearly 4,500 historical and cultural sites have been registered and protected by the local governments. Also, the region conducts Tibetan Buddhist activities in an orderly manner, and law-based management of religious affairs has made steady progress. The white paper also says the environmental governance system has continued to improve. 
Shizang currently boasts over 40 nature reserves of different types at all levels, which cover a total area of over 400,000 square kilometers. And thorough scientific studies have been carried out on the Qinghai Shizang Plateau. Uh, the white paper also notes that great progress has also been made in social stability, the construction of democracy, and the legal system to guarantee the rights of all people of all ethnic groups in the region. The Tibetan language in Shizang dates back to the 7th century. In modern times, the local language is not only preserving traditional values on the plateau, but also helping promote its culture to the world. Li Yunqi has this report. This is one of the six weekly Tibetan language classes at Lingzhi No. 2 Primary School. Founded in 1971, the school offers modern education to 1,900 students. Nearly half of the 150 faculty members are from the Tibetan ethnic group, and they teach across all subjects to pass on both knowledge and local cultures to the next generation. Vice Principal Lei Wanchun says Tibetan language classes are not only available to Tibetan students, but also to those from other ethnic groups. Most of our students are Tibetans. We also have students from even smaller ethnic groups, such as the Member and Luba. Each ethnic group in China has its own unique customs. The Mozambican ambassador to China, Maria Gustava, says in Xizan, students of different ethnic groups are studying together in harmony. I could see that uh, the, the Tibetan people they are working hard to improve their life. I really I was very impressed to see the children at school, the way how they are learning, and also to see a, a nice roads. The ethnic groups uh, of Tibetans, now they are living together. There you could not see that this is from uh, different, no discrimination. Despite the creation of the Tibetan language dating back to as early as the 7th century, Education in the language was only accessible to the lords in Xizan under feudalism. For a long time, illiteracy was estimated to be 95%, as the majority of people could only learn the language through verbal exchanges. However, education rights were given back to the people after the peaceful liberation of Xizan. In the 1980s, the government passed a series of legislation and set up a special committee to guide the preservation efforts of the language. At the end of the 20th century, with the completion of computer sets and alphabets, the Tibetan language finally welcomed its digital form and was ready for wider publication to reach more people. Nowadays, the local language in Xizan has become more than a tool for communication. It is empowering students with artistic pursuits and promoting the culture of the region to the world. Sha Han Kai is the deputy director of the Academic Center at Beijing Experimental High School in Lhasa. Apart from regular Tibetan language classes, our students also have an interest group for the Tibetan language, such as calligraphy and painting. Students can choose to learn based on their interest. After observing the education rights of the people in Xizan, the Philippine ambassador to China, Jamie Flor Cruz, praised the culture and the language preservation efforts in Xizan. I learned that most of the students here do not have to pay a single uh, dollar or money. The local people, the local students can uh, learn new things, uh, but also while uh, preserving their own culture, 
their own language. We believe in globalization, but also we believe in respect for uh, indigenous or ethnic cultures and that we, we believe in learning from each other. Only by learning from each other can we progress uh, together. In today's Jizan, the local language can be seen everywhere, from official government announcements to business billboards, and even national brands like China Telecom and Bank of China have their names translated into Tibetan. The younger generation, such as the ANU group, has begun incorporating hip-hop and other modern artistic forms into Tibetan, expanding the reach of Tibetan culture beyond the world's highest plateau. For the Beijing Hour, this is Li Yunxi. This year marks the 10th anniversary of the completion of a highway from Boami County in Motua in the southeast of the Qinghai Shizhong Plateau. The opening of the road marked the end of the region's isolation from the rest of the world. Gua Tianqi has visited a villager who used to be a porter but now has his own trucking business. Gamma Pingcuo's former home, Gandong Village, is located in the north of Motua County, deep in the Yellow Zambo Grand Canyon. Before the road was completed, residents could only reach the town area by foot. The 50-kilometer journey would usually take three days. At the end of September, there was an avalanche at the Shewala Mountain, and many of us were buried. We were so lucky to survive. I never want to go over the mountain again. Motua is surrounded by mountains on three sides. If you entered from Bumi County in the north, you had to climb over Galangla Mountain, and the narrowest part, the road was only 30 centimeters wide. To enter from Linji City in the west, you had to climb over a 4,000-meter-high snow-capped mountain. Ten years ago, the Motua Road was open to traffic, and the road construction also brought opportunities for villagers. Gamma Pingzua became a truck driver. He also bought a bulldozer to use in road construction projects. Our truck is busy all day. We have so many orders. We're hiring someone else to drive it. In 2019, Dolongang Village set up a truck transport team, which increased the villagers' income by more than 3 million yuan through centralized organizing and dispatching. Because of the difficult conditions, construction of Motua Road took more than 50 years. Through a northern route, it is now connected to China's national highway network, going all the way to the coast and the rest of the country. That was Guo Tianqi reporting. Coming up, the six CIIEs closed with 78 billion U.S. dollars in tentative deals. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. We're at 10 minutes past the hour. Well, Friday was the last day of this year's China International Import Expo. The 6th CIIE has set a new record with over 78 billion U.S. dollars of tentative deals signed for goods and services. The figure represents an increase of 6.7% over last year. For the first time, this year's CIIE has ushered in the American Food and Agriculture Pavilion. During the six-day period, the deals signed there added up to over 500 million U.S. dollars. As the 
the world's first import-themed national-level expo. The event this year has attracted participants and guests from over 150 countries, regions, and international organizations, with over 3,400 exhibitors. The United States has sent its largest delegation to this year's China International Import Expo. Do Hongyu spoke with exhibitors at the U.S. Food and Agriculture Pavilion for their insights into the expo and their expectations for future collaborations with Chinese businesses. The olive juice is good. It tastes similar to olives. They don't put in as much sugar as we do. The food is delicious. The meat is quite fresh. They give quite a lot of samples. It makes me feel like this brand is sincere. Even on the last day of the China International Import Expo, the U.S. food and agricultural booths still bustled with visitors lining up to sample the offerings. The U.S. Department of Agriculture led a delegation to the expo, which included corporate representatives from the states of Idaho and Georgia. It was the first time for the U.S. government to participate in the CIIE and set up a pavilion. Danny Xu is the Asia Trade Representative of Dynamite, a first-time exhibitor from Idaho. He says their interactions with visitors were valuable experience for the company. We got a lot of great feedback because I think this is a very great opportunity and we are very excited because uh, uh, many people can cooperate with us, so I think uh, it's kind of very nice because that can keep us to grow and also we can bring very experience, great experience to them. Mohamed Darakmech with Angry International, a company based in Georgia, says China's huge market is what attracted them to come. Chinese market is so important. Uh, you know, uh, the consumption here is so high. That's why okay, we are looking forward to get an opportunity in the Chinese market. This is echoed by other U.S. companies in the Food and Agricultural Pavilion. China is the largest market for U.S. agricultural exports. In 2022, the total value of these products exported to China reached a record $40.9 billion. Juan Queller with the Georgia Department of Economic Development says trade with China has improved the life of residents in Georgia. The opportunities that China provides, the openness of their, the market here, uh, gives uh, Georgia companies a, a chance to grow, to develop their own cities, and also to um, increase the wages there. We feel like trade, whether the trade that is going into China or the trade that is coming from China into Georgia, it helps companies, help communities, and in the end, everybody gets a better quality of life. Being impressed by his first trip to the CIE, Queller says he's looking forward to the next edition. So we feel like, uh, yeah, we have to come back. And uh, now that I know so much about uh, the way that other companies and ourselves have demonstrated our products, I feel we can be more efficient and also more helpful to people who like to do business with us. According to Amcham Shanghai, a co-organizer of the American Food and Agriculture Pavilion, companies at the pavilion have signed MOUs worth over $500 million. Exhibitors say they're looking to finalizing the deals after the exhibition, and that the conclusion of the expo is not the end, but the start of a new beginning. For the Beijing Hour, this is Do Hongyu in Shanghai.
Thailand's Chaoran Pokapan Group has once again participated in the CIIE, leveraging the expo to expand its presence in the vast Chinese market. With more, Zheng Tao spoke with James Ye, vice chair of CP Group China. Today is the final day of this edition of CIIE. What has your company achieved so far from this year's event? Uh, this is actually the sixth uh, time we joined CIE, and uh, our group, CP Group, continuously joining this event. Uh, we have uh, entertained many uh, clients from both overseas and uh, domestic, and also uh, we introduced uh, some uh, good quality uh, international uh, products, uh, including food, uh, beverage, and coffee, and uh, uh, fruits, etc. We signed some uh, strategic cooperation uh, uh, contracts with uh, uh, some also famous companies, uh, and we believe uh, this time we will uh, introduce more uh, interesting goods to China, and even we uh, are trying to uh, export high-quality uh, products uh, to overseas markets. As a regular participant, uh, what products do you want to highlight this year? And what have prompted you to participate in the trade event consecutively, as you earlier mentioned? I would like to introduce the, uh, two products, maybe uh, quite unique. First is uh, we have a new brand called Chef Cares. Uh, Chef Cares uh, lo- uh, brand. Uh, actually, it's a kind of product that's uh, based on a Michelin chef. Uh, located in Thailand and Bangkok. Uh, travelers and uh, uh, younger people quite familiar with this chef. Uh, she cooked uh, very tasty food, Thai food, uh, by leverage of the high-tech uh, modern food technology. Our customers in China can taste the, uh, the goods more conveniently instead of uh, fried uh, with uh, fry to Thailand and uh, have to wait maybe four or five hours. Another thing is uh, during this time, we uh, set up a so-called uh, uh, global buying, the global sale. Uh, we, we set up a platform. And uh, just as uh, I have uh, mentioned that we want to introduce more high-quality uh, goods and foods from overseas, not only uh, produced by CP Group, but uh, all over the world. We introduced these kind of uh, unique goods into China. Have you observed any particular trends among Chinese consumers in the food market? After you know six times continuously, we joined the uh, CIE. Uh, actually, I find out that the customers are quite familiar with uh, all these uh, good quality products and foods in international market. They know them. Uh, that's why we have the chance to introduce these kind of quality, uh, high-quality goods into China. Another trend is uh, we are more and more using these so-called social media uh, to to get know uh, the, all the trends and the, the, the high-quality goods, which is uh, bestseller overseas. That was James Ye, vice chair of CP Group China. Many global participants at the 6th China International Import Expo in Shanghai have expressed their readiness to expand their presence in the Chinese market. Uh, WPIC Marketing Plus Technologies announced the open of its new office in Shanghai in late October. It also signed a deal this month to open a free trade zone warehouse in Weihai, Shandong Province. CEO Jacob Cook says they're bullish on China, the largest e-commerce market in the world, and its consumers. 
Shanghai office is now our fourth office in China, uh, and the Weihai facility for logistics is our third facility uh, inside the market. Um, we're probably also looking to expand some of the existing facilities next year in Nanjing and Hangzhou as well, so we're very bullish in investing into the market. Global auto company General Motors has participated in every edition of the CIIE. It's also signed up for the seventh edition. GM China President Julian Blissett says the automakers exploring new opportunities in the Chinese car market, the biggest in the world. It's on a fast pace to become the biggest luxury uh, market in the world. Uh, so the, first of all, there's opportunity. Secondly, when we showcased our products in the CIIE in the past few years, we received overwhelmingly positive uh, feedback, uh, where people are just literally queuing up to buy our cars. So we use that as great input. The event this year has set record highs in the number of global Fortune 500 companies and industry leaders in attendance compared to previous editions. Global exhibitors at the CIIE in Shanghai have hailed the trade fair as a key opportunity to tap into what they describe as the unlimited possibilities of the Chinese market. A New Zealand textile exhibitor said they attend the expo every year and their exhibition booth has become more popular. The CIIE offers us the biggest opportunity to access the market. We hope that we can take part in the CIE each year, as it represents a very good opportunity. I think without this event, we might not be able to find so many good business opportunities. Another exhibitor from Armenia said many companies are eager to enter the Chinese market. We have uh, brandy, we have wine, we have uh, vodka, we have uh, cookies, we have tea, honey. And many of them, they are the first time in, in the exhibition. The Chinese market is one of the biggest markets in the world and with unlimited possibilities. The CIIE serves as a bridge for global companies entering the Chinese market, offering a significant opportunity for international businesses. With the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit in the U.S. just around the corner, important talks between the world's two major economies have already begun. Chinese Vice Premier He Lifeng and U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen have met in San Francisco to discuss issues key to strengthening bilateral ties and ensuring global recovery. Mark Neo takes a closer look. He and Yellen reacquainted themselves with each other Thursday morning. They both extended pleasantries, with Yellen saying she hoped to extend the same courtesy to He that she was extended in China. These talks are seen as a way to lay the groundwork for a potential meeting between Chinese President Xi Jinping and U.S. President Joe Biden for bilateral talks along the sidelines of APEC. He stressed the need for both countries to maintain frequent exchanges and create a better investment and business environment to bring economic and trade relations back on track. Yellen says she looked forward to discussing collaborations on global challenges, including climate change and debt distress in low-income countries and emerging markets. Yellen also said the U.S. had no desire to decouple from China, saying that would be an economic disaster for the U.S. and the world. She says what's needed is a healthy relationship. That was Mark Neal reporting. Uh, after five decades, the Philadelphia Orchestra has finally returned to Beijing. Uh, the U.S. troop first visited China back in 1973. This cur current tour is seen as a sign of improving ties between the two countries. Dong Shui sat down with Orchestra CEO Matthias Tarnopolsky to learn more about their expectations for the tour. We just want to continue to make connections through music with all the people that are in our audiences 
the people, the musicians collaborate with as teachers in master classes, uh, in ensembles of Chinese musicians and American musicians. Our expectation, sort of philosophical level, is to make the world a better place. We want to more concretely celebrate 50 years of music making in China by the Philadelphia Orchestra and set the stage for the next 50 years. How do you view the significance of cultural exchanges, especially under the current context of China-US relations? It's incredibly significant because music, making music together, humanizes people to the other, right? And if the geopolitical context is very difficult, it's almost more important that we come and make music together than in good times. People ask me, you know, how can you possibly go to China in these situations? And, and we have various answers to the question. One is, you think it would be better if we didn't go, right? Another one is this, this idea that it's so important. Music making is about shared experience, joint purpose. We come here with, with only a musical agenda. There's no political agenda here. So, and we come really with, with openness and, and heart. And that's our, our responsibility. That was Dong Shui speaking with Matthias Ternopolsky of the Philadelphia Orchestra. Coming up, Israel agrees to daily humanitarian pauses in the fighting in Gaza. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. 24 minutes past the hour. The White House says Israel's agreed to put in uh, in place four-hour daily humanitarian pauses in the fighting zones in northern Gaza. Well, the pauses would allow Palestinians still trapped by Israeli shelling to flee to southern Gaza along two humanitarian corridors. But Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says in spite of this, the fighting will continue. He also says Israel has no intention of reoccupying the narrow strip of territory uh, but what he calls a credible force would be needed to enter the enclave if necessary. Uh, Gaza health authorities say over 10,800 people have been killed since Israel began its uh, relentless bombardment of Gaza on October the 7th. And Israel's reported over 1,400 deaths. Meantime, hospitals in Gaza have come under sustained attack. And this has led to a large number of casualties and more damage to facilities treating thousands of wounded and already uh, starved of supplies and fuel. Sam Mednick has more. Overnight, Israeli strikes hit Gaza while its ground troops battled Hamas within Gaza City. And the fighting continued into Thursday. I was in southern Israel at the border with Gaza, and the sound of shelling as well as airstrikes was constant. The, much of this fighting is taking place at Gaza's biggest hospital, the Al-Shifa Hospital within Gaza City. Israel says that this is Hamas's command and control center. Hamas says that Israel is just using that as a precursor in order to strike it. Still, there are about 60,000 people sheltering in this hospital. Many are looking for refuge. Others are severely injured. On Thursday, Israel did agree to these four-hour daily humanitarian pauses to allow people from the north to go into the south. This comes while officials from Egypt, the United Nations, as well as a Western diplomat have said they might be inching closer towards a larger ceasefire deal that would be about three days in exchange for around a dozen hostages. This would be brokered by Egypt, the United States, as well as Qatar. 
Israel's Prime Minister, however, Benjamin Netanyahu, said he's completely against a ceasefire only if it is an exchange for all of the hostages. I spoke to a hostage negotiator who was key in the release of Gilad Shalit's release, who was an Israeli soldier taken by Hamas for five years. He said that it doesn't make sense right now for Israel to do the ceasefire while they are fighting in the heart of Gaza because it would expose them. They'd have to move and go somewhere safer. It is only worth it if it is an exchange for a large number of hostages, more like 150. As fighting in Israel continues, it is escalating in other parts as well, including along the West Bank, where it has spiked since the beginning of the war. On Thursday, Palestinian officials said that Israel raided Jenin City. This is part of an increased raid by Israelis into the West Bank for what they say is to root out militancy. The United Nations says that at least 150 people have been killed by Israeli soldiers in the West Bank since the beginning of the fighting, and eight Palestinians have been killed by settlers. Palestinians I've spoken to in the West Bank say that settlers are aggressively trying to get them off their land. One man named Tarek said that people are being harassed and detained. They're not allowed to move around freely. He said he feels like he is living inside a prison. And that was Sam Mednick reporting. The month-long conflict so far has displaced more than one million Palestinians. Noor Harazin has more. Now I am standing in Salah al-Din Road, this safety road that the IDF talked about, allowing Palestinian families to evacuate from northern Gaza to southern Gaza. Specifically, I am standing on the front gate of Al-Burej refugee camp. It is a matter of two hours of walking in this uh, very hot uh, weather. We've seen hundreds, if not thousands, of Palestinian families, women, men and children taking this uh, road, according to the families. It was a very uh, hard um, uh, route to uh, southern Gaza. They had to walk between Israeli tanks on their left and their right. They were scared, afraid, and they walked among dead bodies. According to those people, the situation in northern Gaza is unbearable anymore. Even though that they've decided to stay in their homes, they reached the point where they are f afraid for their lives, specifically because the latest Israeli attacks on northern Gaza are around hospitals, UN schools, refugee camps, residential homes. So they took and decided that they are coming to uh, southern Gaza. Now as Noor Harazin on the plight of ordinary Gaza residents caught up in the conflict. We're at 28 minutes past the hour, Beijing down to minus three overnight. Tomorrow will bring sunshine with a high of six degrees. Chongqing's down to 17 tonight, then a slight rain with a high of 20. Last is at minus one overnight, then sunny in 13. Hong Kong has a slight rain continuing through the day tomorrow with a low of 25, or a low of 25 and a high of 27. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, China's released a white paper outlining the tremendous economic growth and cultural development in the Shizhong region. The 6th China International Import Expo set a new record for the annual event with over 78 billion U.S. dollars in tentative deals. And Israel's agreed to daily pauses in the fighting with the Moss militants. Shane Bigham with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. 
Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. Donated an additional Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Friday. Still to come. Uh, in business, uh, China will ramp up efforts to attract foreign investment. In sports, China's called up a new defender ahead of its next FIFA World Cup qualifier. In culture and entertainment, 2023 North American Shaolin Games in Los Angeles. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. First of all, with today's headline news, here's Wang Zihang. Thank you, Shane. A white paper on Xizang says the region has seen sustainable, sound and rapid economic development. Vice Minister Wang Gang from the Publicity Department of the CPC Central Committee says the white paper touches upon various issues, including poverty alleviation and infrastructure. The real-life cases and solid data this white paper gives full life to the situation in Xizong where poverty alleviation is achieved, modern prosperous society is built, and where the society is stable, where economy and cultures are developing and thriving, where the environment is getting better, people are living happier lives, and the religious policy of the CPC being fully implemented. Figures from the white paper shows that Xizang's GDP more than doubled in the 10 years beginning 2012, and its people have enjoyed a better environment and transportation infrastructure, as well as a dynamic cultural industry. Friday is the last day of the 6th China International Import Expo. The six-day trade fair has set a new record in terms of tentative deals for purchases of goods and services. Altogether, they're worth over 78.4 billion US dollars, representing an increase of 6.7% from last year. China says it opposes and condemns acts that harm civilians and violate international humanitarian law. The country's special Middle East envoy made remarks in Paris at an international humanitarian conference on aid to civilians in Gaza. Jai Jun said China is deeply saddened by the new round of Palestine-Israel conflict that's killed over 10,000 people. He said China supports all efforts to de-escalate the conflict and resume the peace process and welcomes any initiative that is conducive to promote to protecting civilians and easing the humanitarian crisis. He also pl- pledged more humanitarian aid to civilians in Gaza. 
Turkey says it has made preparations to evacuate wounded and chronically ill Palestinians for treatment. Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan says his country has told U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken that Gaza needs 500 trucks of aid per day. He also says Turkey will increase pressure on Israel to evacuate injured Palestinians. Israel is currently only allowing a handful of trucks each day to enter Gaza. Spain's acting prime minister has signed a deal with Catalan separatists, triggering protest in Madrid for a fourth consecutive night. The agreement Pedro Sanchez and his Socialist Party signed with the Catalan separatist party Junts allows Sanchez to form a government, bringing him closer to four more years in office. It also includes a controversial amnesty that could exonerate as many as 1,400 activists and politicians from Catalonia who have sought independence from Spain. Sanchez's opponents have accused him of putting aside the rule of law for his own political gain. Portuguese Prime Minister President Marcelo de Sousa says he will dissolve the parliament and call early legislative elections. This comes following the resignation of Prime Minister Antonio Costa, who is under a corruption investigation. The president has announced the snap parliamentary elections for March the 10th. The assurance of the essential economic and social stability is provided by the previous vote on the budget of the state for 2024. Even before the exoneration of the prime minister is formalized in early December, the approval of the budget will allow for us to meet the expectations of many of the Portuguese. The Portuguese prime minister resigned after becoming the target of an investigation into alleged government corruption in lithium and hydrogen exploitation contracts. Five people involved have been arrested, including Costa's chief of staff. The European Union has agreed to pass a law to restore degraded natural ecosystems and stop the decline of biodiversity. The legislation will be put to the European Parliament and the EU members for final approval. It will require countries from the bloc to put in place measures by 2030 to restore nature, covering 20% of the land and sea areas of the EU. The aim is to reverse the decline of natural habitats in Europe, 81% of which are classed as being in poor health. China's Intellectual Property Administration says the country now hosts 24 of the global top 100 sites. Tech innovation clusters more than any other nation. The administration says China has established itself as a major intellectual property country, ranking 12th in the Global Innovation Index 2023. As of September, China has over 4.8 million valid invention patents and 45.1 million trademarks. The country has ranked first globally in international patent applications for four consecutive years. Surgeons in New York say they have performed the first ever complete eye transplant on a man. They hailed the 21-hour surgery as a breakthrough, even though the patient has not regained sight in the eye. Doctors say that in the six months since the surgery, the grafted eye has shown signs of health, including well-functioning blood vessels and a promising-looking retina. They say transplantation of a viable eye globe opens many new possibilities in the quest to restore sight to millions of people. Very much. That was Wang Zhang with your headline news. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China will ramp up efforts to attract foreign investment. <laughs> 
ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. 38 minutes past the hour. Turning to business now, and here's Zhu Tianlu. Thank you, Shane. Stock markets on the Chinese mainland finished lower on Friday. Timothy Pope has more. The Shanghai Composite Index and the Shenzhen component each lost about half of 1% after uh, spending the last two days pretty much flat. There was that surprise jump in trade data early in the week uh, that enthused enthused investors a bit, but that was followed by uh, the weaker inflation data. Uh, and, and those sort of mixed messages there has left investors seeking direction. Most sectors traded lower today on the Chinese mainland with the heaviest drag uh, coming from the liquor giant Weijiao Maltai, which lost about 1%. And there were several uh, blue-chip financial stocks uh, in, uh, in heavy decline as well, including China Life Insurance, Ping'an Insurance Group and China Merchants Bank. Automakers were also losing ground, um, led there by uh, Chang'an Auto's 5% drop. Geely shares were in reverse over in Hong Kong, contributing to a uh, 1.8% drop for the Hang Seng. Geely shares shed almost 3%. That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hong Seng index was down around 1.7%. In Japan, the Nikkei dropped 0.2%. Commerce Minister Wang Wentao says China will ramp up efforts to create a favorable environment for foreign investors. We will make China remain a fertile ground for foreign investment and business development. In the first three quarters, China's total import and export volume exceeded 30 trillion yuan or over 4 trillion US dollars. Meanwhile, foreign investment in high-tech manufacturing and the paid-in foreign investment in research and design services both posted double-digit growth. Every year during the first half of November, the whole of China is gripped in the shopping frenzy, with people enthusiastically purchasing products online during what is known as the Double Eleven Shopping Festival. This year, a new shopping trend is, has emerged, with a surge in travel-related spending. Feifei reports. Like the Black Friday tradition in the United States, the Double Eleven Festival has emerged in recent years as China's largest and most favored annual shopping event. But this year's shopping season is no longer just a frenzy of buying physical goods, as travel-related purchases like plane tickets and hotels have become increasingly hard to come by. According to Alibaba Group, over 300,000 products with discounted airline tickets known as fly-free ticket packages, have sold since last week. Chen Mingyi is among those eagerly waiting by her phone to snap up a fly-free ticket. As a travel enthusiast, she says she won't miss out on such a good deal during the shopping festival. This ticket package offered me unlimited trips to Japan, South Korea, and other Southeast Asian countries for the next six months, and the price is nearly half of the usual, which is quite affordable. Many of her family and friends have also joined in this air ticket rush. 
We prefer products that fulfill our spiritual needs. During this year's Double Eleven Festival, 80% of our spending is on airfare and hotels, only 20% on daily necessities. In addition to huge airfare sales, there's been a surge in hotel transactions. The Taoxichuan Hotel, located in the famous home of porcelain in Jingdezhen, Jiangxi Province, has sold out a series of special offers. Hotel manager Li Hao couldn't contain his joy as he revealed the impressive sales figures. We enjoy taking part in e-commerce events because they help us reach more customers through different sales channels and platforms. We believe that e-commerce sales, particularly for hotels, have great potential. This year, our transactions have already surpassed 16 million yuan. That's eight times higher than last year and far exceeds our sales target. The surge in pre-orders for travel services not only reflects changing consumer preferences, but also signals a positive trend for the tourism market in the coming months. Professor Zhou Qingjie of the Beijing Technology and Business University explains. This shows how traditional and internet economies are coming together. Our travel market is huge, and now by integrating personalized products like flights and accommodations, leveraging festive events and online platforms, we are encouraging people to start shopping early. This meets the demand for advanced bookings and caters to different types of shoppers. This year's Double Eleven Shopping Festival is set to conclude on Saturday. According to the trading platform Quest Mobile, during the first hour of this year's Double Eleven pre-sales, nearly 80,000 brands on the Tmall shopping platform saw their sales volume surpass that of the entire day of last year's event. Sales on Tmall this year are expected to exceed 120 billion yuan, or about 19 billion U.S. dollars. The positive momentum of the pre-sale phase has set a strong foundation for the upcoming series of market activities leading up to the next festive season. For the Beijing Hour, this is Fei Fei. Officials, financial industry leaders and experts at the Financial Street Forum in Beijing have discussed how the financial sector can contribute to a deeper integration of the digital economy and the real economy. Zhou Fan has the latest trends and goals from the participants. The digital economy leads and drives economic growth and has transformed various aspects of daily life. Participants at the forum believe that a deeper integration of the digital economy and the real economy is crucial for promoting high-quality development. Citigroup Vice President Xi Guohua says it's imperative for the financial sector to seize the opportunities and promote further upgrading. It's necessary to continuously leverage new technologies such as big models, blockchain, and big data in financial technology to drive innovation and upgrade the financial product and service models. Large financial institutions have a responsibility to support and provide models and solutions to smaller financial institutions, working together to create a new ecosystem of services. Foreign financial institutions are also working with their Chinese counterparts in the further integration of the digital economy and the real economy. 
Some of them are committed to helping ensure the flow of funds within the digital and real sectors. Chief Representative John Edwards of the London Stock Exchange Group says they will continue to attract international companies and offer them a highly internationalized market. We provide companies with a platform where they can build their overseas presence. They can raise funds by listing overseas. We want to continue to connect small and medium-sized enterprises. As early as 2015, we cooperated with the Agricultural Bank of China to issue our first green bond. We also collaborated with ICBC and Bank of China to issue debt. In addition, we have some interconnections with the Shenzhen Shanghai Stock Exchanges. As a manufacturing powerhouse, China has unique advantages and significance in developing the digital economy and promoting its integration with the real economy. In 2022, the country's digital economy exceeded 50 trillion yuan, or around 9 trillion US dollars, accounting for over 40% of the GDP. Yi Xuedong with the state-owned Assets Supervision and Administration Commission delves into the digitalization of different industries. For the digitalization of the first industry, it is about empowering agriculture with digital technology. For the second industry, it includes new industrialization. The third aspect is our service industry, including modern services. China aims to achieve comprehensive and high-level openness in this sector and create new business models, including cross-border e-commerce. The most important focus should be on intelligent and digital information infrastructure which could serve as the backbone of economic and social development. Participants at the forum also stress the importance of data-driven development, which they believe will provide strong support for the formation of new productive forces. For the Beijing Hour, this is Zhou Fang reporting from the Beijing Financial Street Forum. And that was Zhu Tianlu with the day's business report. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, China's called up a new defender ahead of its next FIFA World Cup qualifier. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 48 past the hour now. Turning to sports, and here's Brandon Yates. Thank you, Shane. China's men's football team has called up Shenzhen FC right-back Xu Haofeng as a replacement for injured Jiang Guangtai. Jiang may miss the upcoming FIFA World Cup qualifier against Thailand. He has withdrawn from the Chinese team due to a left knee injury. The entire squad has gathered in Shenzhen to prepare for the Thailand match. China will visit Thailand on Thursday before hosting South Korea five days later. Group winners and runners-up can advance to the next phase of qualification. China has drawn into Group C alongside South Korea, Thailand and Singapore. Manuel Neuer plans to take things easy when it comes to a return to Germany's national team. The 37-year-old goalkeeper has decided to skip the country's remaining friendlies this month. The 2014 World Cup winner will focus on rehabilitation from a broken leg caused by a skiing accident over 11 months ago. He may return to the national team in March 2024 and try to regain his number one status. The Bayern keeper last played for Germany during the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. 
Zhang Under has progressed to the semi-finals of the International Snooker Championship in Tianjin. He did so with a 6-3 win over 14-time ranking event winner and Chinese compatriot Ding Junhui. That means Zhang is through to his second semi-final of the campaign. Zhang will face world number one Ronnie O'Sullivan, and he is excited about this occasion. O'Sullivan is the best snooker player in the world, not just in my mind, but also for many other players. He is a legend in the sport. I will not think too much. It is just a match, and I will enjoy it. Getting this far keeps Zhang's hopes of automatic qualification for the Mr. Q UK Championship alive. World number 15 Ding will have to wait a bit longer for his place to be confirmed. Double Rugby World Cup winning captain Sia Khaleesi has made his first public appearance as a Racing 92 player. The South African admitted that it felt like the first day back at school. Khaleesi captained the Springboks to the 2019 and 2023 World Cup titles. He has since joined the French Top 14 club on a three-year deal. Khaleesi was due to sign for a club in Japan, however former all-black great Dan Carter, who had played for Russing, advised him to head to Paris instead. Russing are second in the top 14 and travel, without Khaleesi in the squad, to Toulon on Sunday. China's women's sevens rugby team is in full preparation mode for upcoming events. Coach Sean Horian believes that things are going well. And then we've just really been focusing now on our uh, technical and tactical around how we're going to beat um, the opposition in, um, in Osaka for qualification. Um, the, girls are, the girls are focused, you know, they're, they're ready to go. Um, it will be a big challenge because it's, in, it's you know, to beat um, Japan and Japan's always a challenge. So that's probably the big thing we've been focusing on at the moment. But the girls are in a good headspace. The main aim for the team is to qualify for the Paris Summer Olympic Games in 2024. In tennis, defending champion Novak Djokovic is in a group with home favourite Yannick Sinner for the ATP Finals in Turin. The draw for the season-ending eight-player finals has been made. Djokovic and Sinner will be with Stefanos Tsitsipas and Holger Rune in the green group for the round-robin stage. Second-seeded Carlos Alcaraz headlines the red group. This group also includes Daniil Medvedev, Andrei Rublev and Alexander Zverev. The top two from each group advance to the semi-finals. Djokovic needs to win just one match to end the year as the world number one men's singles player. The 24-time Grand Slam winner is bidding to win the event for a seventh time. He has not lost a match since his defeat to Alcaraz in the Wimbledon final in July. New Zealand has all but made the Cricket World Cup semi-finals after a five-wicket win over Sri Lanka. The Black Caps finished the group campaign on 10 points from nine games. They snapped a four-match losing streak with a routine victory. They bowled Sri Lanka out for 171 before reaching their target with 160 balls to spare. In doing so, they also significantly boosted their net run rate. New Zealand sit fourth on the table. They could be joined on 10 points by Afghanistan and Pakistan. However, both sides will need remarkably large wins to overhaul New Zealand's run rate. And finally, Oakland Mayor Sheng Tao is against the city's Major League Baseball team leaving the city after 55 years. He has sent a letter to 15 owners in Major League Baseball. In it, he outlines why they should reject Athletics owner John Fisher's attempts to move the team to Las Vegas. The owners' annual meeting takes place next week in Arlington, Texas. The A's relocation vote is expected at some point during the three-day session. Approval from three-quarters of the 30 owners is required to allow the move. It would be MLB's first franchise move since the Montreal Expos became the Washington Nationals in 2004. 
the A's want to build a stadium on a site currently occupied by the Tropicana Las Vegas Casino Resort. Thank you very much. That was Brandon Yates with Sports. Coming up in Culture and Entertainment, the 2023 North American Shaolin Games in Los Angeles. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men, Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi everyone, I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 53 minutes past the hour. In culture and entertainment, the highly anticipated 2023 North American Shaolin Games takes place this weekend. The event and a series of martial arts-related activities are scheduled to take place in Los Angeles, drawing around 1,200 Shaolin disciples from the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. The event is co-hosted by the Songshan Shaolin Temple in China and the Shaolin North American Association. It's expected to serve as a platform for Kung Fu enthusiasts to show off their skills and help promote the popularity of the ancient sport in North America. Pickle, um, pardon me, pickleball is a fast-growing activity globally, and the growth has extended to China, where locals love the athletic and social elements of the game. Cheng Hui has more. In the same size as a doubles badminton court, using a racket about twice the size of ping-pong paddles and a plastic ball with holes, you are ready to get started. It's quite easy to pick up in just 30 minutes and get started. My son and I were instantly hooked because we can feel how enjoyable and fun it is. I practice tennis every week, so this is not that hard for me. But the ball is plastic and has no bounce like tennis ball, so I need to be harder when hitting it. Invented in 1965 in Seattle, Washington, the origin of the sports name is something enthusiasts may argue about. Without expensive gear or special apparel, the small court also means less running around. The demand for safe, distanced activities during the pandemic also helped fuel the sport's growth. The Association of Pickleball Professionals said the sport has 8.9 million players in the USA and a growth rate of about 158 percent from 2020 to 2022. Here in China, hashtag Pickleball has received over 15 million views on Douyin. I think sports like pickleball will be popular here in Shanghai, because the city is very diversified, and young people love to mingle by playing sports. However, venues and courts in the downtown area for group sports like pickleball, tennis, and frisbee are always fully booked. At Kaitian Pedestrian Street in Chongning, the Shanghai Tennis Association is trying to raise awareness for the sport by hosting a competition open to people of all ages. Our way to promote pickleball is to make it fun by playing hip-hop music, playing games, and having food and drink on hand. We plan to do this in eight districts across Shanghai. The top eight players will be qualified for the final. This large beach has been given a makeover in Barbie pink, with pink camping chairs and inflatable sofas for parents and children to relax. We've got a really good kind of relaxed feel over here, so that's fantastic, right? I can certainly see there's a lot of people interested in playing some sports here, so that's, that's really cool. And of course, you know, you've also got uh, Shanghai Stadium as well to go check stuff out as well, right? So The global pickleball paddle market is expected to reach 254 million U.S. dollars by 2028, compared to 148 million in 2021. However, business insiders say the China pickleball market is still very immature as it is currently only trendy in first-tier cities, 
such as Shanghai, Beijing, and Guangzhou. That was uh, uh, Zheng Hui reporting. The Shanghai Mingyuan Art Museum has just unveiled its inaugural exhibition, Delight in the Invisible. The exhibition's uh, further advancement of the perception art concept of the 2019 Shanghai Mingyuan Art Museum. Uh, the exhibition explores the new development possibilities of contemporary Chinese art. Archaeologists have discovered a large-scale ancient architectural complex in northwest China. The Sergio Ping ruins in Li County, Gansu Province, are the birthplace of the culture of China's first dynasty, the Qin. Uh, the ruins are believed to have been used for sacrificial ceremonies. The newly discovered ancient man-made platform covers an area of 28,000 square meters and was encircled by a rammed earth wall. Ancient tiles were found scattered inside the ruins, and those artifacts gave experts the clues to narrow down the specific time period of that uh, ancient ruin site. 58 minutes past the hour and Beijing down to minus 3 overnight. Tomorrow will bring sunshine, the high down to uh, only 6 degrees. Uh, Chongqing is down to 17 this evening, then a slight rainfall in 20. Last is at minus 1 overnight, then sunny in 13. Hong Kong has a slight rain continuing through the day tomorrow with a low of 25, the high is 27. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 14 overnight. It'll be cloudy in 17 on Saturday. Islamabad's at uh, 12, de- uh, 12 degrees this evening, then sunny in 24. Bangkok's down to 26, followed by thunderstorms and a high of 33. In Africa, Nairobi is getting thunderstorms in 23 degrees. Finally, to Oceania, Sydney's at 19 this evening. It'll be partly cloudy with a high of 32 on Saturday. Auckland's down to 11, then some clouds in 21. Port Vila, cloudy skies in 27 degrees Celsius. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, China's released a white paper outlining the tremendous economic growth and cultural development in the Shizong region. On behalf of the staff, this is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the latest edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Takeaway Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Takeaway Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From North to South, East to West, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 